Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Texas 24 podcast on the Dave Campbell's Podcast Network. I'm your host, Matthew Bruni, and with me once again is the champion himself, Ishmael Johnson. Ish, how are you doing tonight? Oh, man. Uh, I guess this is how Babe Ruth felt when he called his homer. Mm-hmm. You can do is look at that beautiful cover of Texas Basketball Magazine. Mm, yep. And, uh, and look at that and say, you know, we got him before the, before <laughs> the season, before the season. Now, now, yeah, we'll we'll get into everything. We'll get into the Houston game later. Like we'll barely touch on that. But great run right. by Houston, right. awesome season from Houston. Um, you know, it didn't go the way they wanted to. Sure. Um, but we're recording this at eleven o two p.m. Central Time uh, when Baylor defeats Gonzaga, and on Baylor's actual like site. It has the little Gonzaga logo as with 86 points and Baylor with 70. So, you know, they got to fix that. But I'm not here to climb. Yeah, I'm in a great mood. Uh, Baylor <laughs> Gonzaga, 86 to 70 in the national championship, giving Texas their first men's national title since 1966. And oh man, what a game it was. Oh. What a season it was. I'm in awe and. I mean, I, I thought I'm going to let you go first, but I, sure. I really came coming into the game because before the game, I think it's interesting to talk about. Um, we, we, we just, we disagreed here. You, you thought Gonzaga really had a good chance of winning. You picked Gonzaga mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end and I was just looking at this game. I was like, everybody, cause everybody picked Gonzaga. The line was Gonzaga by five. And I'm like, damn, that's a lot of points. Like they, mm-hmm. everybody knows something here. And obviously it's basketball, so it's it's a it's a fickle sport in a lot of sin in a lot of ways. But I I really I mean I I had Baylor winning. I thought Baylor could win in a few different ways. I like the matchup for Baylor that I'll I'll get into as we go un- unravel the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and not for nothing, um, I had three hundred fifty dollars on the line because I had uh, I was going to win my bracket pool if they won. So they end up winning. I had a nice three hundred fifty dollar deposit in my Venmo. And it just made the celebration even better. So um, shout out to all the Baylor fans out there. And thank you to Jared Butler, Maceo Teague, Davion Mitchell, all of y'all for um, helping me win my bracket pool. That's so it. I, go ahead. I, I, yeah, it's like, it's like where, do you, where do you start? And it's like, I guess I'll go, I'll go a little bit backwards. You know, you mentioned us talking before the game a little bit, texting back and forth and how we disagree. The reason why I disagree is because that I thought, Gonzaga got their one game out of the way, right? The thing we were impressed with Gonzaga this whole tournament, this whole season was that no one got close to them, right? And I thought that they got their scare out of the way. I thought that it was, okay, there's the UCLA game. And, you know, we talked about uh, UCLA after, after that game. We talked about it. UCLA had to play a perfect game, right? They shot like an anomaly, like almost 80% from mid-range and lost. And so I thought, okay, that's it. Like Gonzaga that's that was their shot they won they're gonna i didn't want to say steamroll but they were gonna i thought they were gonna win what baylor did is on par to me with one of the most impressive things i think i've ever seen because this gonzaga team was on pace to be one of the best offenses ever um and that's not that's not a that's not hyperbole. That's that is check the advanced stats, check all the numbers, how they stack up. You're looking basically at them and 99 Duke. And what Baylor was able to do, particularly, 
you know, we can talk about the bigs and all that stuff, but in particularly Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler, those two guys, especially obviously Davion Mitchell, Davion Mitchell, without a doubt, to my, in my opinion, get himself into the lottery. But what they were able to do on defense, they made Gonzaga never looked comfortable. They were making bad passes, bad reads. They rushed a lot of shots. They never looked like they were running their offense, right? Like they were running their offense, right, in a literal sense. But they were like, you could tell they were like fishing for an open lane or an open window. And I think a lot of ways they're used to those looks coming eventually. Sure. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're used to teams wearing down. Like, you know, whenever they, you know, they get that high ball screen with Timmy, Timmy finds somebody cutting and then they get, you know, if they stop the cutter, they kick it out. But the problem is Baylor was so athletic that they closed out everything. And the other thing was they had hands everywhere in the passing lanes. They, they were swiping constantly. Timmy had like five, four or five turnovers. Um, and he's somebody who doesn't turn the ball over. He, you know, he only, he, he only passes the ball when he's either assisting or, you know, a pre-assist or something. So he's a pretty mm-hmm. decisive passer. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing, the thing that I honestly went back to was remember when we talked about in the last show, Jared Butler had not had a Jared Butler game. Yeah. The whole tournament, he'd been good. He'd been fine. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, but it was Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague really doing a lot of the big work. Jared Butler had the Jared Butler game. And every run that Gonzaga, especially to start the second half, when Gonzaga closed it uh, to cut it to 10, I was like, uh, I don't like that, right? Because they got dominated and all of a sudden they cut it to 10. Yep. Jared Butler comes out second half, hits two huge threes, pushes it back. Okay, now they're over 15 plus. And they never got within, I mean, they, they crunched it a little bit, but they re- that was basically the margin. Yep. And... Of course, like other, you know, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, they were all hitting from three. Like that was the other thing was just their insane shooting. But particularly Jared Butler, this was the game that he needed to have because Gonzaga was good enough to, I don't want to say make it a game because aside from that halftime push, they didn't really make it a game. But Gonzaga was good enough to eventually start wearing on a team if they weren't good enough to punch you back. But Jared Butler in those key moments, Davion Mitchell on defense – um, and I do want to hint on the post players in a little bit because they yes. played great as well. Yeah. But um, Jared Butler hitting those timely threes and then Davion Mitchell just being a pest on defense because when Jared Butler went out, Davion Mitchell had to do a lot more. And what Butler allows Mitchell to do on both ends is he allows him to be the secondary creator on offense and then he allows him just to be a menace on defense because he knows that Jared Butler's also there being an, another elite perimeter defender. So when he was out, it wasn't a surprise that Gonzaga was able to make that push. Um, I think he picked up two fouls. I think with like five or six minutes to go in the second half or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or first half, I should say. Um, and yeah, that's when they made their run. But yeah, I wanted to hint, we can, we can just talk about more specific matchups and things like that, but I wanted to hit on Jared Butler in particular because yeah. he talked about like he'd been averaging like 19, 20 coming into the tournament. And he, I think his highest was like 15, 16 so mm-hmm. far in the tournament yeah. before this game. Finished with 22, 6 of 14, 4 of 9 from 3. Like, Come on. <laughs> yep. Uh, to your point, Jalen Suggs, three turnovers to three assists. Corey Kispert, one turnover to two assists. Drew Timmy, five turnovers to three assists. Uh, Nimhard, even two two turnovers. Uh, mm-hmm. Aaron Cook, three turnovers, 14 turnovers as a team for Gonzaga, who only had 16 assists. Um, there's, there's so much we can unravel here. Um, going into the game, to, to kind of look at – discuss how I was looking at it in a sense mm-hmm. where I – 
heard everybody kind of hammering home the point of Drew Timmy. And that's where I want to start here because it goes to your point of the bigs. I heard everyone hammering home Drew Timmy. You know, that both teams have great guards. I heard this a lot. I was watching it like their pre-pregame show, like on CBS Sports. Sure. And he's like, you know, both teams have great guards, but Drew Timmy is the difference here because Baylor doesn't have the bigs, uh, you know, doesn't have that level of big. And I'm thinking the whole time to myself, I'm like, we saw Drew Timmy score on Mobley. We've saw we've seen Drew Timmy score on great players. I'm not saying Drew Timmy can't score on great players, but against Baylor, you have not only Jonathan, you have not only um, Thamba, you have not only Vital, and you have Matthew Meyer. You have four guys here who can conceivably guard to an extent Drew Timmy, mm-hmm. and it's so my whole thing was if they post drew Timmy and let's say he goes 10 of 17 from the field and he has a really good game in that regard. I don't see that as a viable way of beating Baylor with the way that they have shot the ball the entire season. And I really like the matchup of Jonathan and Thamba against Timmy. Like I think they have a, they have between them, they have 10 fouls, which we sure. saw they used all of them. I was about and, to say, yeah, they, they really uh, made sure they had all those. Yeah. So they had 10 fouls between them and B, yeah. they're just big dudes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Drew Tim is a great player, but at the no matter who you are, when you're going up against that kind of size and you're a little undersized, it's going to take a lot to score and Drew Timmy was still really good, but it, a lot of his catches were on the roll. And that's kind of where Baylor, um, while he scored them, that's kind of what Baylor gives up in a sense, because they trap the ball screen or they hedge the ball screen. And then they rotate off of that. And so I'm here like, okay, Drew Timmy's going to have a game, but is he going to do enough to beat Baylor? And sure. so we, you can give your, your spiel about the, the bigs mm-hmm. from, from there. But that was my first initial inkling when I heard everybody just say, Oh, this is Drew Timmy's just going to be the difference here and that's where i was like yeah but is it enough i think yeah no i think what in particular i think that i agree with what you're saying for the most part i think that what baylor did well against drew timmy was they didn't give him a lot of they, I don't. They made him a little bit uncomfortable, but yeah. also they, because I don't want to say they denied him. They didn't really deny him they, the they ball. They fronted sometimes. They fronted sometimes, but and when and let me say when he got the ball, he was able to do some things, right? But when he got when he got in his positions, he he finished he finished five of seven. You know, it was decent, but he only had seven shots, right? And like you mentioned, some of them were pick and roll, some of them were under the basket. You know, he does he does like to work his way there, but they didn't let him have like the post one on one touch that were you that we that we were used to seeing him have. They didn't let him front like, uh, or they didn't let him uh, face up like Evan Mobley did. Uh, he faced up Evan Mobley a ton and was able to take him off the dribble. They didn't let him get the ball in those positions, and he had five turnovers. Like that's again as a post player, that's a lot. That's an insane yeah. amount. Yeah. Um, and so every time he touched the ball, they made him uncomfortable. They made him give it up, work to his spots. When he, when he did get there, okay, he was, able, he was able to score. But they were like you mentioned, they were able to throw so many guys at him. And I just kept saying, like, eventually, there were some times where, like, Nimhard couldn't get him the ball. Yep. And, like, there were some times where I'm like, Gonzaga has to find a way to, like, clear out an ISO Drew Timmy because there was so much crowded lane. Like, anytime they tried to get on the ball, there were hands coming at him, and, it, like, he had no room to operate. And so, like, there were so many times where – and I know this isn't how Gonzaga operates, which is why they didn't do it, but I was like, you got to give this guy space because when he's get when he gets the matchups, he's able to win them. Yeah. But they were able to – you know, he had 
he had Mitchell swiping at him. He had Butler swiping at him. Anytime he moved, the, anytime he moved and was able to operate, he had guys swiping. And if he got away from that, then he was able to finish. Yeah. But I want to say the, the thing that really stood out to me was that I didn't. I don't say I didn't expect it because Baylor was obviously is a good is obviously one of the best teams at this. But I did not see. I did not expect to see this big of an offensive rebounding discrepancy. Mark Vidal. I, I I know Gonzaga's man. I was like, I was after seeing Baylor play Houston. So I'm going to refer to the Houston game a couple of times here. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. Baylor play Houston and handling their defense. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of people, man, a lot of people after the game, are like, oh, Houston's overrated. They're not this. They're not that. I'm like, all right. Yeah. If you didn't watch well, Houston, I mean, Baylor was just that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you didn't watch Houston the entire season, whatever, that's fine. Right. You can just refer to tournament that's fine <laughs> after seeing them play their defense i felt a lot better about ba- butler uh, or baylor obviously yeah. but the rebounding the way they were able to rebound with houston which mm-hmm. i went into the game saying both teams are going to get over 10 offensive rebounds i don't know if that ended up happening it was probably close but they were able to rebound at that houston level and that's a level that they needed tonight because i thought they could out rebound gonzaga these were basically my three things. They could out-rebound Gonzaga. They weren't going to turn the ball over, and they were the better shooting team, right? That, that was my whole argument at the end of the day. Um, and the rebounding thing discrepancy was just staggering to 16 offensive rebounds for Baylor. Mark Vidal out-rebounded him by himself. He had eight. Like, that – it was it was weird because, like, it just looked like they were going – like, not even just vital, but, like, it looked like – I mean, Mitchell was going towards it, right? It was a lot of these other guys going yeah. for the ball, and yeah. it just looked like they had an extra energy step. Well, and we have, to, we have to remember, they start Corey Kispert at the four and Ayayi at the four, basically. Like, they're not – overly big they bring no yeah no and, and and drew timmy's not a very good rebounder no? like drew timmy isn't he's not a very i mean he, he i think he had like i think against ucla i want to say he had like four like i'm trying i'm trying to think he, he did, it didn't have a lot like he's not a big he's he averages seven on the year but you know a lot of that is west coast conference and yeah. he's you know he he is a tall guy so naturally he's gonna get some but he's not i'm trying to look he had four against ucla he had five against usc like he's not a big rebounder volume rebounder yeah. and so yeah, I knew Baylor's size was going to give him issues. I didn't expect. I didn't expect sixteen to five. Yeah, that was that was my thing. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I and the other thing you mentioned Kispert, and I want to say because th- this team has Gonzaga's been the key for Gonzaga all year has been obviously Jalen Suggs and Drew Timmy, but it's been Kispert and Joel Ayai, right? Those four guys have been, you know, numbers wise, have been the best four have made the best starting five in the, in the country. I wonder if Scott drew basically said we can just take out Kispert and Nimhard completely. Like, because Kispert looked in over his head. Nimhard looked in over his head when he had to handle the ball for a couple times for Jalen Suggs. Yeah. He could not handle the ball. Like he, it, he just looked uncomfortable and Suggs look, obviously looked uncomfortable too, but it looked like Nimhard was trying way too much. And it looked like Kispert was just trying to fish for anything. He couldn't hit any, and he hasn't had a good tournament, but particularly in this game, there was, I think he got blocked, like, like embarrassingly blocked like twice by like, uh, by, uh, I can't remember who might've been Mitchell once and vital once. I I know vital was one. Yeah. Vital was definitely one, but he looked in over his head. And I'm wondering if like, as good as, uh, as good as, as uh, Kispert is, I want to say he won like the something small forward award or something, right? Was, so, like, the top... I think he was first team All American. He was first team All American. I know that much. I want to yeah. say he won like the small forward award too yeah. for top 
for. So he's obviously a talented player, but I wonder if Scott Drew basically said, oh, we can physically take this guy out of the game because on both sides, he struggled. They got him in the switches. Every time Davion Mitchell switched on him, every time anybody else, he switched on to somebody else, they took him. And defensive, uh, so defensively, he couldn't guard anybody. And then offensively, he hasn't really been hitting in the tournament at all. And even if you close out, because he's, he's, you know, numbers, his numbers do speak for themselves. He's an elite shooter. But even if you close him out, I think Scott Drew was like, I'll take this guy driving to the rim, right? Yeah. And so he looked off. And I think when he's off, that does a lot because he's their best shooter, right? Baylor is hard to close out because they have so many shooters. When he is off, uh, uh, Kispert, I mean, Gonzaga messes up a lot because there goes somebody you don't have to worry about now. Now you can key more in on Drew Timmy. Now you can clog the paint a little bit more for Jalen Suggs to not be able to drive. Uh, Nemhard as well. Nemhard can't drive inside either. Ayayi can't, like Ayayi was basically another non-factor. Like he only had five shots. Like I, I honestly think that Scott Drew looked at a couple players and said, physically, I think we can take a couple of these guys out yeah. completely. The It's funny because, I mean, I don't... I've been wrong in college basketball a lot. <laughs> I went into like I like I I finished like middle pack in every bracket I ever do. Like yeah. this was the only year I've ever done well. I don't know. It's it's probably because I actually watched a lot of college basketball this year. That's probably paid off. But regardless, <laughs> um, Corey Kispert was my X factor going in this game. Hundred percent going away. Like mm-hmm. I was like, if Kispert plays well, they win. I think I texted you this. I'm pretty sure this was one of our yeah. text exchanges. Kispert plays well. I think they win. Kispert doesn't play well. Baylor wins. Um, and the reason is for the exact th- reason you said it's the spacing. I mean, Gonzaga is a good three point shooting team, but they're not great. They have mm-hmm. a great shooter in Corey Kispert, but Timmy. He averages eight, 19 points on 45% from three. Like this yeah. guy is an elite. He's the yes. arguably, other than Baylor, he's yes. arguably uh, the best shooter in the country. Yes. And they made him nothing today. Yes. So. <laughs> With that in mind, I was like, all right, he has to go four of nine from three for them for them to have a chance here. And yeah. at, at least. And because that'll open up the floor for Suggs and Timmy, as you said. And but my whole thinking was again, going back to Baylor, was the defensive ball pressure is not gonna let him get comfortable here. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what happened here is whether it was Teague, Mitchell, Butler, Flagler, I thought was great on defense too. And it was just like there's no room here to breathe. And when you do have room to breathe, you're like, okay, now do I drive or do I shoot? And there was just that overthinking right. aspect here that Gonzaga had time after time. Cause when you get the ball and you see a guy flying at you, you're like, all right, I have time to shoot, but is it is the time to, is there enough time to shoot? I think it was summarized when he traveled. Cause yep. you remember he had an open, he had an open look to me. That was an open look. You shoot that. I agree. And he tried to pump fake and, you know, he brought his dribble down and played off as a dribble and he traveled and i again that's a shot that you know a month ago Corey kispers just let's go and so i think he i think they rattled him a little bit and i i'll admit flat out i underestimated the intensity baylor would come out with because aside from that houston game we hadn't seen that defensive tick yet right that real defensive tick where it was like them constant we've seen it from davion mitchell individually but as a team collectively we hadn't seen that ceiling where it's just like constant ball pressure constant closeouts constant energy 50 50 balls and and so i i under i fully admit i underestimated that because they came out flying from the get-go yeah. and everybody was p- basically playing with the same energy that davion mitchell had been playing on that end the whole tournament uh one thing i wanted to get to 
was because Gonzaga couldn't guard Baylor, they switched to a zone. Yes. And at the end of the first half, and my uh, my good friend Will Will Warren uh, at Stats by Will on Twitter, he brought up this fact: the craziness of Baylor forcing Gonzaga to run a zone in the first half shouldn't be overlooked. Gonzaga ran just 22 possessions of zone this entire season, according to Synergy. Gonzaga was fished by the end of that first half. Gonzaga was fishing for solutions. They did not know what to do. And then Macy Atik hits two mid range shots and basically they blew up the zone and that was it. They were done. And, and Flagler hit a three, too. Yeah. yeah. And Flagler hit a three and they basically said, nope, that zone's done. And they didn't know what to do. Like, as much as, you know, they shot, they didn't shoot well. Oh, God, it's, it's wild to me that we're talking about like Baylor's defense as if Gonzaga didn't shoot 51% from the floor, right? Yeah. But that was the thing. They were okay because they were okay kind of letting them get those shots because they, they weren't hitting anything from three. A lot of offensive rebounds, is putbacks, things like that. We talked about shot volume. Um, they they had almost 20 more shots than them, uh, Baylor did. And so shot volume, and the, they weren't letting him hit from three, and they were uncomfortable when they were getting to the rim too. And so they were really having to work. Gonzaga was really having to work for those points. But, yeah, like – Having them, the defense obviously was what impressed a lot of people about Baylor, but offensively, forcing Gonzaga to basically say, we don't know what to do, was just unbelievable. They've never been in that position um, basically in two years because Gonzaga was probably in a similar spot last year as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it yep. I don't know. It, yeah, it's two-way, two-way masterpiece. <laughs> yep, just two-way masterpiece. It goes back to... Um... What everybody was saying at halftime, which every, I mean, again, I was, it was a 10 point game and, and you're yourself and everybody was telling me, no, like, yeah, I, like, I was saying I'm like, Gonzaga's right in this. Yeah. I was like, my dad, right my, dad's, my dad's saying the same thing. It's like everybody in the world is saying the same thing. And, and it's just like, uh Oh, it's a 10 point game here. And I looked mm-hmm. up at the scoreboard and I said, Baylor has 47 points. And what has Gonzaga shown me to say that Baylor's not going to score 47 more points in the sure. That was the only thing I had. Cause I mean, I thought Gonzaga was going to score. Like I, I assumed they were going to cut it. Like I didn't think Baylor was going to win this by 20, which they ended up doing. Right. Um, but I was just like, they can't stop them. They literally can't stop them on the man is getting torched in one-on-one situations. Timmy and Kispert were getting destroyed. Um, and then they went zone and that didn't work. Even though I, t- and then I texted you, I said, honestly, I'd probably just play pro- play zone and pray. That's yeah, what... basically, like that was it. Cause like you're basically, I mean, Macy, like in Macy OT, get those two mid range shots and then Flagler hit a three. And like I was looking at that, I'm like, I'd kind of take that. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I'd kind of take Macy OT working in the mid range over Jared Butler knocking down a three. Cause that's well, that was the other option. Like it was either you pray that Macy OT starts missing from mid range, which is possible, or you get, you know, or you let Jared Butler do what he does and just knock down more threes with Davion Mitchell. Um, yeah, I don't know. This team. I do. I want to. I do want to stick to Baylor now because, like, first men's team to win a title since Texas Western, and a team that I think it would have been harder to win last year because they weren't as good as of a shooting team last year. But for two years now, we're looking at a national title contender, and you know, are at least one of the two best teams for the past two years running. Now, obviously, we know the best team this year. Man, what this two-year run, I don't want to say is unprecedented because we've seen we've had great teams in college yeah. basketball, but I'm starting to wonder about like 
how Scott Drew won last year constructed basically this defense out of thin air because he was a zone coach his whole career. Yep. And then he brought in all these guys and all of a sudden they go to a no middle and they just suffocate. And then this year they become an elite three-point shooting team. So it's like a th- basically a three-year transformation and basically to a national title. You know, obviously they lose all these, most of these guys, but just like that three-year transition of going from going, turning to a no middle defensive powerhouse and then to a no middle defensive powerhouse who also can just shoot the lights out from three. That's one of the most impressive things I think I've seen in a long time, because you have to go back to like, you know, Duke kind of reinventing themselves in the recruiting trail and winning with mm-hmm. Jaleel Jaleel Okafor and Tyus Jones and that team to like, think of like a drastic change of like, philosophy over such a short amount of time and transitioning that quickly um because yeah i like that's that to me that's the most impressive thing about this is that they were able to change themselves so fix all of their problems right if not for the covid break this past year we might be looking at them as undefeated right yep um yeah i don't know this what i don't know what's going to stand out to you most about this baylor team and this baylor run in particular i think Okay, you hit it on the head, and I, I, a lot of the talk after the game was there was a rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. And what makes it so incredible is that from 2003 to, like you said, to 2000, basically 17, 18, is it was pretty much the same style here, uh, same type of players, and they've had good years, but they didn't have, fi- they didn't make a Final Four before this, and mm-hmm. they made the Elite Eight, right, in 2008, I think it was. Yeah. or nine somewhere around there somewhere around there, yeah. and the reinvention of the past two seasons and especially this season really shows an embrace of where basketball is i think at this moment and it is perimeter defense it's having athletic mm-hmm. bigs and it's shooting the three and at the the other stark thing that i will never forget about this team is they might be the first team to my memory to be a great isolation team. Mm. Like that cannot be overstated here. The ability to isolate matchups is something that, yeah, happens in college basketball, but the ability to do it with three players, at least three players Mm -hmm. is unheard of. It's unheard of, and it is just completely exposes 99% of defenses in the country because in college basketball, you're not going to have five long, athletic, great defenders here. Like You'll be lucky if you have three. Right. And at the end of the day, Baylor is switchable. They can shoot the three, and they can isolate you to death. And, at the, and that is what they've done this entire season. And so – when I heard everybody this entire game, and there's a reason if, if you follow me on Twitter, I was so kind of emotional. I, I guess upset is a better word mm-hmm. because the whole game was just like, oh, Gonzaga's tired from playing UCLA. Gonzaga. Oh, yeah, uh, I hated that. I just, hated is, that. just is having a bad night. Yeah. Like this and that. It's like if you didn't watch Baylor on January, f- whenever they beat the hell out of Texas, whenever mm-hmm. they played earlier in the regular season, they've done this this entire season. This was not new. This mm-hmm. is who Baylor is. Isolation heavy, shoot you to three from... That was another funny thing at halftime when they were like, oh, Baylor can't keep playing this well. I was like, have you, uh, yeah, I was like, have you watched the team this it's year? Impossible. Like, no, this There's is exactly no as well as they played all year. 
They shot six of 11 from three in the first half. There's no way they shoot that well again. They shoot 42% from three on the season. And guess what they shot in the game? 43%. Yeah. This is who they are. Yeah. They're an all-time great team. They're the second best team in the past 10 years in my estimation. No, seven years. I'll give it, I'll give it seven, seven years. I'll, yeah, I'm looking back. I'm starting to look 12, back on some. 2012 Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Since them, second best or at least top two team, because I'm going the 2018 Villanova team and the 21 Baylor team as oh, my was, two best teams. I was gonna, since, yeah, since the 2012 Kentucky team. That, Those are my good, two teams. Yeah, and I'll agree with you that. You can throw the 2015 Kentucky team in there too, because they were undefeated and lost in the in the Final Four. Throw them Fair in enough. there too. But yeah. this is a great team, and they've done this its entire season. And for people, analysts on television and people on Twitter, the same to just mm-hmm. have this unanimous feeling of. Oh, this is an outlier. It's not an outlier. It's what they've done this entire season, and they'd be undefeated if they didn't have a COVID break. If this wasn't a pandemic, they would have been undefeated, and they might be going for back-to-back championship championships. Yeah. I just can't. I can't wrap my mind around how great this team was and how unique they were because of what I said in the isolation aspect, the three-point shooting aspect, and the switchability. It's an amazing team. I'm just floored. Just floored. Yeah. I, I, I love that you brought up the isolation because, <clears throat> you know, you, we can talk about advanced numbers and things like that. And like, you know, this team's obviously going to be lauded for its advanced numbers too. Like um, before heading in, I think they were like, you know, Gonzaga had the advanced numbers, but Baylor wasn't far behind. Like Baylor is going to be remembered even in the advanced numbers crowd as at, at the very least one of the top five advanced numbers teams of the past generation, basically. Um but I'm glad you brought up the isolation because I think that is something that it's hard to quantify obviously right now as a stat or something, but that is something that I'm confident in saying, like as an isolation team, we're looking at the best I've ever seen in college basketball, because you look back at those other great teams, you look back at 2012 Kentucky, right? It's dribble drive penetration. It's pick and roll. You look at Villanova, it's pace and space, four out five, four out one or four, four out one in or five out. Right. Right. Um, it's a lot of three-point shooting weaves, things like that. It's, it's, you know, it's not, and obviously Baylor has three-point shooting as well, but they have the ability to, with three dudes, if you get the, if they get the switch, clear out, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm trying to think, like, there isn't another team, because you think of all the great teams, even the great players, right? John yes. Wall, like John Wall wasn't an isolation they player necessarily. Isolation. No, mm-hmm. um, you think of Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving yeah. wasn't an isolation and, team. Yeah. Uh, and it's not to say that Duke. they could. And it's not to say that they couldn't isolate. It was not the system of any of those right. teams. Sure. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, maybe there's a historian out there that'll find me because I mean, post. Well, I'll, 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 I'll tell you this much: they're not at least in this past, the past, you know, our modern era of watching basketball. They didn't win a title. Those teams yeah. didn't win a title that did yeah. that. So, you know, there might be a team out there that does, I'm, I'm really trying to think. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there might be a team out there that, you know, somebody might go, oh, this team, but they yeah. didn't win the title because I'm looking at the teams that won a title and I don't, I don't see that. Right. And so, yeah, like, it, God, like it, it's, I think you're right. I think at the very least of the past 10 ish years, and this isn't a knock on Baylor because I think we've seen, I'm going to say top three, right? I don't know what order yet, but I'm going to say 2012 Kentucky, 2018 Villanova, and this Baylor team. But And and I I don't think that's knock because I think those three teams are also in the conversation for three of the best we've ever seen, period. Like not just the last 10 years. I just think we've been really lucky the past 10 years to have those three teams to have in that conversation. So I have no problem putting them in that conversation because, 
Yeah, Kentucky again. Kentucky's another team we could have been uh, the twenty twelve Kentucky team could have been undefeated if they didn't lose on a buzzer beater. And then I think they kind of, you know, through their I don't want to say through their conference tournament, but I don't think they were as motivated for that yeah, conference tournament. Yeah. That one. And Villanova yeah. was clearly the best team that year. Yes. Um, blew out uh, Michigan. I think it was in the title game. Yeah, it. I don't know. And Baylor proved the same thing. Like yeah. I expected a good game and. I didn't get that. I got any. I got something even more impressive, and I had somebody on uh, one of my friends say, "Oh, this is what you, you were rooting against UCLA to get." I was like, "Yeah, because if the Baylor would have done this to UCLA, I wouldn't have been as impressed." No, <laughs> like, no. I'm sorry. Like, if Baylor does this to an 11, I'm sorry if I'm not impressed. Like, no. <laughs> it's like congratulations, you beat UCLA. Like, I would have been happy, obviously, because Baylor would have won. But beating, doing Gonzaga like this versus doing UCLA like this, you kidding me? Trust me, Baylor fans would have wanted this more yes. too. They wouldn't have wanted to do this to the UCLA. Of course, they'll take a title, but they get to brag that they ended Gonzaga's unbeaten run. Come on now. Is um, as just the whole the whole. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna forget watching this game for a while. Uh, the whole first seven eight minutes, whenever they when they went on their run to start the game. Um, let me pull play by play so I have a decent idea of how what the time was here. They go up twenty three to eight seven minutes in and the whole time I'm saying, cause I'm, I'm here watching with my, with my dad. And I'm like, this is what they do. Like literally turnover drew Timmy, like foul Corey Kispert turnover, miss layup from Gonzaga. Like, and then Baylor just comes down three, three, three. And I'm like, Gonzaga better guard them because they're not missing anytime soon. Like this isn't, this isn't, they, you can't just wait for this team to cool off. Because if you do that, the game's over. And the game was over by that point. And, again, the, the guards of Gonzaga kept just trying to f- figure them out. Like, there was a way to beat them. It's like, no, there's no way to beat them, really. Um, I think the way that Gonzaga played offensively was about as good as you can ask. Like, honestly, mm-hmm. like, the way to beat them isn't necessarily by shooting threes, right? A lot of it is getting to the paint, getting foul calls, mm-hmm. Um and trying to like Gonzaga in theory would have loved to get out in transition more, but mm-hmm. in half court setting, what Gonzaga did is probably their best chance. They got to the rim, they got to the free throw line and yeah. they were able to shoot over 50% from the field. Baylor's defense is just so frenetic that you're going to turn the ball over, that you're not going to shoot very well from three most of the time, and you're not going to win the rebounding battle. So I really think it really, and I said this before, is it's going to come down to Gonzaga's defense. Can Gonzaga stop them? And they couldn't. And lo and behold, Baylor was able to put the game away. And, man, I was just yelling at my TV the whole time. I was just like, this is what they do. This is what they do. This is what they do. Yeah, Great team. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, I do before we get to the, you know, we'll go backwards a little bit and go, yeah. you know, talk about uh, Houston and Baylor next. Um, but I, I'm, I'm also glad you mentioned kind of where basketball is at this point because it's three points shooting and it's getting to the rim. What you notice if you noticed this game, and I want I want people to go back and watch this game, and I want people to go back and watch uh, uh, UCLA Gonzaga because Gonzaga and Baylor are literally two modern offenses, right? And I mean modern in like the, they meld scheme and analytics, right? They throw out what we call bad shots in the advanced stats world, which are mid-ranges and basically more or less mid-ranges and non-layup two-pointers, right? 
things that aren't at the rim. Both Baylor and Gonzaga basically eliminate that from their offense. Obviously, you'll take an open shot if you can get an open shot. But as far as creating, primary creating, that's what they look for. They look for threes. They look for layups. Go watch this game. And you'll see Macy Oteague. We mentioned Macy Oteague hitting a couple mid-range jumpers because that was what the zone gave him. And so, yeah. And you'll notice floaters, things like that. But you'll notice they're driving. Both teams are driving to the bucket and they're getting threes. Go watch the UCLA-Gonzaga game. And you see basically the opposite. You see Gonzaga driving to the rim, getting three-pointers, and you see UCLA. I think Sam Bassini from The Athletic tweeted out the shot chart. Gonzaga took three mid-range shots the entire game. UCLA Mm -hmm. took 17. And the reason why the game was close is because UCLA was just happening to hit all of them, right? And so you, may, I like that you mentioned the modern offense because, yeah, I want people to go back and watch these shots and watch the shot selection in particular because you're not going to see a lot of mid-range shots. You're going to see, you know, screens or like pull-up threes or off a screen, something like that, or a pick and roll or an ISO drive to the basket. Like it's very much, the mid-range, I don't want to say the mid-range game is dying because you do see teams, you know, it's kind of having an, another resurgence in analytics because a lot of people are giving you that open. shot. Yeah, a lot of teams are giving you that shot now because they want you to take a quote-unquote bad shot. And so some teams like UCLA, we saw are like, cool, we'll take it. Um, but today's game was one that was like, you know, it was more or less that game where you're just watching these two modern offenses kind of like test each other out where it's like, okay, we're going to shoot a three. All right, well, that didn't work. We're going to drive to the rim. Okay, we're going to shoot a three. We're going to drive to the rim, you know. And that's i mean that's where bad that's where basketball is right now right villanova kind of has been doing that for a long time yeah. under jay right um you don't see a virginia i mean that's why virginia, virginia winning a couple of years ago was so hard because they don't run that offense they don't run that type of offense yeah they just want um, defense. just defense right you that's why when you do have you look at the, the, the often the teams that have won the title or contended for the title the past couple of years it's either been an elite defense like a tech or virginia or it's been an open offense like Baylor, Gonzaga, Villanova, right? Um, Those pace and space teams have been the ones to really get things going. So um, yeah, today was just a, it was like you mentioned, great team, but also like a really good embodiment of where, like you mentioned, where the game is right now. Yep. And again, that's all credit to Scott Drew and his coaching staff for realizing it and being- Hashtag hire Jerome Tang. He's been on the bench for like 40 years. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing assistant for them. Um, being, yeah, they're just malleable. They're switchable. They're able to shoot the ball and just incredible um, creation off the dribble was just too much. And I don't know um, what that does for Timmy's perception as far as, cause I thought Timmy just got played off the court, like just completely. Oh, thought, yeah, that's fair. I mean, I think, I think so too. Like, I think they went small for defensively. Like a, they went small for a very short stretch there. Uh, Gonzaga did, and then they put Watson mm. in at the five. And honestly, if I were them, I wouldn't. Even, I, I mean, I Watson was say, that's when playing. I. That's when I. They were uncomfortable. That's when I officially when they went Very. big. That's when I. Oh, they, they did go too Watson big. And Timmy yep. had never. Yeah, they did. They never played together. Watson and Timmy never played together, and I was like, oh, they're really cool. It was first when they went to zone, and then when they went big, because they never went big. Yep. And yeah, you mentioned uh, Kispert. Kispert's always been there four, like or the three or four. Kispert, you know, yeah. Yeah, Kisper to So it's like that's how they've always just operated. Um, so yeah, when when they brought Watson on the floor to play with Timmy, that's when I was like, oh, are they really looking for something now? Um, and we'll see. I mean, I'm interested to see how Mark Few does this adjust because you know, just as a general basketball fan, because you know he loses Jalen Suggs, Kisper two, and probably Ayai. Timmy's coming back, and there's rumors that 
you know, they're probably adding Chet Holmgren, number one recruit in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, does, I mean, again, that's still, that just still doesn't solve the, 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 uh, body issue. Like that's two yeah. kind of frail kids in the yeah. front court. So, uh, who knows what will happen if another physical team, but you know, this, um, uh, anyway, we'll go on, let's It'll go on to be, Houston and Baylor. And we, yeah. I do want to talk about, um, uh, we can talk about it in the context of this game too, but a little bit Baylor going forward now, now that they're losing a lot of these guys. Yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, we, we did miss a, a Texas clash. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this was, this was, uh, we were, all, I, we were all looking forward to this one. Uh, Baylor and Houston. Uh, I did have, I kind of entered the final four just saying, all right, Baylor and Zag are just going to blow out their teams in the final four and just move right. on and play each other in this golden game. Right. Um, and Baylor held up their end of the bargain. Uh, Baylor came out and scored 45 points in the first half um, on blistering shooting, uh, which again goes to what I was saying of if anybody watched this Baylor team, then you knew that this is just what they do. Uh, they came out, I want to say they went nine to 15 in the first half, uh, something along those lines. Or, like it was, it was a high percentage. I'm not going to, Oh, here I have right here. Eight of 15. I'm sorry. Eight of 15 mm. from three. Um, and they just well, blew, the doors, blew the doors off of a great, defensive defense in houston uh with a lot of length houston has i mean uh sasser came out and scored 15 of the first 17 points for houston uh basically was the only reason they were not down 30 because sasser comes out and hits uh, i think with all five of them threes all five of them might have been threes to start start the game um but yeah Yeah. he had ended up having 15 points five and nine shooting from three and other than that houston just wasn't able to score with them really at at that point it was just it was too much to overcome because then Dejan Giroux tried had to try to do a lot uh I thought Cheney played pretty well in his 17 minutes Gorham tr- played his heart out uh, six boards but they just didn't have enough scoring on this team and Grimes is a guy I was kind of disappointed in mm-hmm. um I, not just this game it was kind of like I, I mean when I watched him this entire scene when we when we were conceiving this podcast I went back and I watched a ton of obviously texas basketball games i went back and watched Mm -hmm. everything from lamar sam houston to uh, smu houston and the whole time i'm like this quinn grimes guy is really good he just doesn't have that it that Mm -hmm. davion mitchell has that macy ot and this is might be unfair comparing him to now champions but this is sure. Quinn I mean, Grimes he was, a, I mean, he was a five-star recruit coming yeah out this of, is a uh, Quinn Grimes right? guy that we know is talented like we yeah. undisputably is talented he just every time I watch him I want more mm-hmm. and so that that was this game it was all right like Marcus Sasser's doing his thing and I know Mark Quinn Grimes has to do more off the dribble but still I want something more if, if they're taking away your jumper get to the rim or get to the mid-range mm-hmm. get to, get to the free throw line something and he never did um, and he ended up with 13 points on four total sh- 12 shooting in 37 minutes. And, uh, that was the one aspect I was disappointed in from Houston, because other than that, I thought H- Baylor was just the superior team that just outplayed them in every aspect of it. I thought Houston tried their best rebounding had 14 offense rebounds. Um, I thought Houston tried their best on defense, but the, the Baylor just overwhelmed them. The Grimes was, was my only Grimes was my only gripe. That's what I'll say. Mm-hmm. That one. Yeah. I, I, I kind of basically agree with that. I think that the thing that looking back on this game, I think I probably should have taken this more as Baylor waking up because this was the two-way performance we talked about. Because yeah. remember, we we were saying like, ah, oh, Baylor hasn't had that two-way performance yet. Yeah. They had a great defensive game. They had a great offensive game. And they really hadn't put the two and two together. I probably should have looked at this game more. 
I I think I I look, I put too much in this of Houston being overmatched. Mm-hmm. I think that was my fault in this game. Was like I don't want to say Houston was overrated. I just think that I was like, man, Baylor was just really that good, and I thought Houston was overmatched. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little bit of that. I think obviously Houston was overmatched because Baylor was a better team, but I think that Baylor putting it together officially made it a bigger margin. Um, watching I don't the, think I gave watching Baylor shoot the way they shot against Houston. Cause I really think Houston is on that level of defense with Gonzaga 100%. 100%. watching them shoot against Houston that well, really just inflated my confidence um, sure. against, yeah, against no, no, going I, into Gonzaga. And I don't sure, think people sure. realized how good Houston's defense was. Like 100%. I said, I, a lot of people were saying, Oh, Houston's this overrated this and that. Right. Y'all, y'all didn't watch Houston. You didn't watch them lock teams down and right. for Baylor to come out and shoot the way they did. Mm. inflated my confidence just that might be the reason i picked them to win at the end of the day 100 no i i agree like I, I think i probably should have put a lot more stock into that because yeah houston i mean we knew houston would struggle on offense obviously that wasn't their forte but i think the way that baylor was able to just get around them you know just absolutely get whatever they wanted as you mentioned some of those isolation plays um you know davion mitchell was able to isolate on really good defenders and he was like cool let's go let's dance and I think he was able to frustrate a lot of Houston's guards as well. I think when you, I, I, the interesting thing about Quentin Grimes is because I partially agree. I think that I think his is, I don't want to say his issue, but my confusion with him is I think he's he's a guard who plays like a forward, and he's a, and I mean a small forward, obviously not a power mm-hmm. forward, but yes, because he's only six five, but because he doesn't have he has decent handles, right? He has decent handles. But I don't know if, like you mentioned, it's not, and again, we're comparing to Baylor, it's probably unfair. But even then, it's not an elite guard, right? Like, as far as his handling goes and his driving to the rim. And, yeah, I don't know. His, his game is interesting because he's, he's only 6'5". And obviously in college, that you know, you can be a small forward that way. But, you know, the next level, I'm curious to see what teams do with him because... I don't think he's, I don't think in the NBA, he's good to me. Overall, if you look at Quentin Grimes, I think he's a, obviously a good enough player to be in the NBA. Yes. I don't think he's good enough to be a small a shooting guard right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he's big enough to get away with small forward. Um, the league's going small, so maybe. But the reason why I say this is because I do expect him to probably go pro. This is his best year. Houston made a Final Four. Yeah, you got nothing else to prove. You know, you you got your hometown back to the final four. Best year, best year in a generation. He has nothing more to prove. Um, you know, I think he's gonna go to the next level. So I, that's why that's why I'm curious about his NBA stock because I think some teams gonna look at his scoring and his shooting and say I'm interested in that. But I'm curious if they're gonna look be like you and be like there's something something missing because like you, I was waiting for the Grimes moment, right? And not even saying like, oh, I'm waiting for him to, you know, close this and make exactly. it a five point game or exactly. something. But just like, something. you know, when Baylor goes on a 10 0 run, where's, you know, where's you to make poor and four quick points, right? To cut it down, right? To, to stop the bleeding a little bit. Those little moments where it was like, you know, like, like Suggs had today, right? So Jalen Suggs, right? Again, he's yeah. top three pick. So that's, again, probably unfair too. But we saw it with Suggs. Yeah. So every time Baylor on a run, Okay, Gonzaga's overmatched. Suggs got to the rim. Like you just seeing this guy get to the rim, hit a three. He's doing something right to keep his team in it. And I was, again, maybe that was just impressive defense from Baylor, just to absolutely take him out of the game and make him uncomfortable. Um, but yeah, um, 
I am interested in Houston going forward because obviously they have this foundation set now. Mm-hmm. They do lose a lot, but they also bring back some intriguing guys. They're probably obviously I'm predicting Grimes to leave because I, yeah. I don't think he has any more to prove. They obviously lose. Let me see. Jerome's a redshirt senior. Gorham's a redshirt senior. Yep. Uh, uh, Grimes. We so so lose. assuming Daniel so I'm assuming White's Cheney's coming back. Sasser's coming back. Mark's coming back, and Jamal Shedd's probably going to play more next year. So yeah. those four guys are really interesting to me, especially. Did you, did you say Tremont Mark? Yes, Tremont Mark. Okay, yes. Um, so Mark's probably going to take over the backcourt, uh, along with uh, Sasser. That's intriguing to me. I think those guys are really talented. Obviously, I don't think they'll do what they did this year, but going forward, I think Houston has a pretty good rotation spot with Jamal Shedd probably coming off the bench now to um, instead of Mark, and. You know, with um, Cheney being their main forward, the front court guy now, I think that's solid too. Um, I think they have a lot to replace with. You know, they need somebody in addition to be that physical guy down low with with um, to replace Gorham. But I'm really intrigued what they have coming back. I don't think this is going to be a one and done for Houston, right? For like two years yeah. and then out yeah. and out of national relevance. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a. Uh... It's so hard for me because, yeah, I mean, you have Justin Gorham and Dejan Giroux here who are both wretched seniors. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there could be a chance they come back or there could be a chance that they transfer. I don't, I don't know their situations well enough, but it's just hard for me to yeah. um, assess that situation because if one of those two comes back, it completely changes the comp- complexion of this team. If one of those sure, two I'm come sure. back, if especially especially Gorham, I'm worried about Gorham. I'm both they're both such unique unique players, right? Gorham is just this crazy rebounder. Um, that's kind of like the heart of their team. Jerome is this six five point guard that is makes them tick in a lot of ways. If either one mm-hmm. of them came back, it would be huge. Um I think what I look at when I look at when I look at teams and players coming back and things like that, I think I look back on like I I've kind of two main questions is one can you play somewhere right i think these guys can play overseas like i think and maybe mm-hmm. somebody can you know uh Giroux can probably play in the g league like i probably think like they can make their they can make money doing this i think and so i think the allure of making money in some way and the other thing i look at so i obviously don't just look at that but the other one thing is was there something you want to do in college that you didn't get to do and i don't think they have anything left to do like they got yeah. Houston to a Final Four, you know. If now, if Grimes was coming back, right, then they want to maybe, you know, Baylor's rebuilding, and they probably, yeah. you know, this is, they bring back the same team basically. Yeah. Then okay, then we're talking. But I think if I, I expect Grimes to leave because yeah. I don't think his stock's going to get, get any higher. And with him leaving, I think there goes that it guy to really make like a run it back type push yeah. right yeah I, um, I don't yeah it's so, but it, again it's it's again it's a weird year everybody can come back so like this is me this is all speculation on my part but that's kind yeah. of what i look at when i look i at agree situations. i would probably lean both of them leaving like mm-hmm. if even if we said 75 percent or something like that some sure. high uh i just it, it's it would make a huge difference if they did so that's where i'm kind of sure. like hesitant because um yeah, it's it's kind of happening everywhere. It's like either coming players are coming back or they're transferring, and so it's like, we, there's the off season is going to be such a hectic space of just constant news cycle where players are like, um, yeah. Also, shout out to Zach Nuttall for committing to SMU. 
Um, oh yeah, I saw that. Jeez, we got a lot of yeah. We'll have to do probably another show this week just to catch up on like yeah, the head we'll coaching catch up on transfer everything. news. Yeah, <laughs> other than the tournament, everything other than this amazing game uh, and this amazing season from from Baylor and and right. Houston. Great season from Houston as well. Um, yeah, that's uh real quick. Let's talk a little bit about Baylor, Baylor going forward. Obviously, these guys are probably going to be enshrined somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Vital gone. Uh, Teague, this is last game. Obviously, and Mitchell got no reason to come back um so those first of all let's start with those four right you know obviously they're gone but like what a run like those four guys basically like they came back last year and tristan clark unfortunately you know wanted obviously should have been a part of this team too yeah um but of course he was he had to retire um earlier in the year um you know those four guys basically more or less calling their shot saying like because butler could have gone pro last year right teague probably could have gone pro you know mm-hmm. it wasn't a guarantee but he probably could have been a late second round pick um butler coming back was basically like no we can win a title like that was basically him saying like nah we were doing this and man they put their money where their mouth is they basically just said like yeah no nah, we're good like we're gonna come back and we're gonna run this thing back we're gonna prove that we're the best team this past year we're gonna prove we're the best team this year and I got nothing but credit for them, man. Like they, 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 they did it. You know, those four guys are going to be remembered for a long, long time, particularly those four guys. You know, we'll talk about the, the flagglers and the Tom Wachacha was as well, but yeah, we, we those have to four get... guys in particular, like they're going to be like, they're going to be really remembered. I think Mark Vidal is going to be like a, a folk legend in Waco, yeah. like the six, five center who just like dominated the country. Like who, who in 2021 is playing a six, five center, you know, like <laughs> it's just yeah. and, those four guys in particular, but yeah, we can talk about the other guys too. Uh, yeah. I, I really feel bad. I didn't mention Adam Flagler's name at all. And when we, when we went over the, the win over Gonzaga, cause I don't believe he, about him. Uh, cause he hit the, he hit the couple threes when they, went Oh to the my gosh. He played, I thought he played amazing. And he, he went three or fantastic. four from three. Um, he had he capped off the the greatest play of the, of the game, pretty much in my opinion. When Vital blocked, uh, I don't remember who it was at the rim. It was Suggs and somebody else. I'm just gonna say it was Suggs, but it might be somebody else. Blocked Suggs Kispert. at the was rim. It, it might have been Kispert. It's blocked somebody great at the rim. One great yeah. player at the rim, and then they come down. Butler comes down the left, and I'm just like, all right, we'll take it to the rim. Get to the free throw line. Do what you do. And he just look. Nope. Get past to Flagler on the wing, hits it, puts him up 16, and I'm just running around my house like, this is what they do. This is Baylor. Like, they're not cooling off. These dudes are so good, man. Flagler is incredible. 22 minutes, and it there is a – like, if he wasn't behind Butler, Tegan Mitchell here, I'd be saying that he was, like, one of the best players in this game easily. And he was. It was just the other three guards ahead of him were just godlike. And yeah. so, uh, shout out to Adam Flagler, man. What a what a season from him. What a tournament from him. And what, what a, a pickup. What a pickup. Like, because oh, just because you. I mean, to think that like they just went out and got like an all like an all pro or an all conference caliber guard from Presbyterian and just add the bench and i was like yeah this guy's gonna come off the bench for us like because he was he was great at presbyterian and this is what they expected him to do they basically said like yeah you're gonna be the microwave player who's just gonna have free reign to shoot right yep and you know he obviously sat out uh last year but like he came in as a freshman the freshman of the year in the presbyterian right 15 points a game like 
and they just added him. He's like, he's you're going to be off the bench. <laughs> like, I'm excited to see him next year because it's going to be a lot of fun with him running that backcourt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, he was such an incredible pickup. Um, Thamba Chachua just like stepped up incredibly. Flo Thamba, like I was, I was. There were some times where I was like, man, I don't know. Like there, I thought they would miss a, Freddie Gillespie a lot because Freddie Gillespie did a lot for them last yes. year. Like he, him and Mark Vidal were like the unsung heroes. And it was partially why their offense stalled out because they needed two guys who were really good on defense that really were limited on offense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that I thought they would really miss them on defense. Jonathan Thamachachua and uh, Flo Thamba stepped up so much. Like they did not miss Freddie Gillespie. Um, and they were they also had more, a little bit more on offense, right? They're not the most offensive polished guys, but they're able to roll. They're able to uh, catch the ball on, on lobs, their lob threats, they're able to run the floor, but that's all they needed. Yep. And yeah, those two guys stepped up and you, the depth of their front court showed today, especially because they were in foul trouble. And that was their weakness today was, you know, being a little bit too aggressive at times. And also it was a kind of a light whistle too. So they were getting called for fouls and they were just able to go three deep on that, on that, in that five spot and keep it fresh and keep it going. And the foul trouble never caught up to them because they were three guys, uh, Vital, Thamba Chacho, and, and Thamba. Um, have it, we haven't mentioned Matthew Mayer yet. Like, come on, man. That You have a 6'9 guy who can shoot 40, per, 40 plus percent from three, handle the ball. Like, Nick, it, it, in 2022, he better be like a first round draft pick because he is an ideal, to me, he's an ideal three and D, right? 6'9. Mm-hmm. Can defend. I would like to see him work on his defending a little bit more next year. Yeah. Uh, that's assuming he stays. I'm assuming he stays. Yeah. Um, I would like to. I would like to see him work on his defense a little bit more. He's already an elite three point shooter, and he can already take the ball off the dribble um, a little bit. Right. He can handle the ball a little bit. Um, to me, that's an ideal three and D in the NBA. And the, again, this guy's off the bench. Like <laughs> the yeah. fact that these guys are coming off the bench for this team just shows how deep they are, how talented they are, and. Yeah, I don't know. It was just the perfect the perfect makeup of a team. Because, like, I'm trying to look at, like, okay, in an ideal world, if you're making this team in, like, 2K or something, you maybe add a guy who could score in the post, but you don't need that, right? You don't really need that. Um, but other than that, like, who, what would you? What else do you need on this team? You don't need anything else. Like, you have shooting, you have defending, ISO. <laughs> I have no idea. I really want to go blocking. back to – I really yeah. want to go back and watch the 2018 Villanova team just so I can compare them again in my head because I remember sure. how in love I was with that 2018 Villanova team. Yeah. Um, and I probably will still be if I went back and watched them. Yeah. Uh, but man, the defense, again, the defense, the, I, and that was another thing is, is I keep harping on just how everyone was talking about this Baylor team. I remember before the, in the early in the season, it was what's better Gonzaga's offense or Baylor's defense. What, which one would you rather have? I remember that being a headline. I don't remember if I was at the gym or where I was at. That was a headline mm-hmm. somewhere. And we got, we got to the point at the end of the season where it was just like, Oh, Gonzaga's offense is just better. Like that's what everyone mm-hmm. assumed. And I think, I really think the two losses Baylor had just really buried them in a lot of people's minds. And I, I, I mean, with us, we talked that. about it too. We talked about it too, where we were like, ah, is Baylor still the Baylor yeah. team that, we, yeah. you know, we talked about on the podcast like you know it it, it got to us yes so. no no for sure for sure and i was i we were definitely even up to the final four we were like okay you know they they because they had runs 
They had yeah. flashes against Wisconsin. They had the flashes. I mean, they didn't shoot well against Villanova, but they played great defense. Then against sure. Arkansas, they played. Uh, they shot the ball well, but didn't play great defense. So we kept getting this and that, this and that. And I just hoped that them and Gonzaga would turn it on in the Final Four, and they did. And then they just carried that over, and they put out – I mean, to beat Houston the way they did and then to beat Gonzaga the way they did. Like, that is a two-run, two-game run that – cements this team just absolutely the, cements this team yeah i'm looking at the ken palm ratings right now so i'm gonna look at 2012 so right now like if if you know i'll wait, I'll wait i'll have to wait till tomorrow probably till he adjusts all the stats to make it you know yeah. official right now baylor is technically just behind 2015 kentucky as far mm-hmm. as ken palm ratings as far as like the best teams they're ahead of 2012 kentucky and they're ahead of 18 villanova now that's based off Ken Palm, and again, that's he hasn't put in the final numbers. I'm only assuming it's going to get a little bit better, probably. Yeah. Um, so he has them as a sl- as slightly better than both of those teams, just behind that 2015 Kentucky, as far as like I mean, those statistically the best teams of this generation. And I mean, I you can't I can't argue with that. Like you know, we just saw are, it. That's, that's the that's the group that these this team is in, and even if none of them turn into Carl Anthony Towns or Anthony Davis level sure. talents in the NBA. What they did this year and last year, but but this year especially, to mm-hmm. win it all and to win it the way that they did and put together this season just is incredible. And it will cement them in Texas basketball history and especially Baylor basketball history um, forever. And, man, that it was just a fun season, incredible season from this time. Remember when we wanted to call this show since 66? Yep. <laughs> Burn that. that would have been gone out the window. Burn immediately. it. <laughs> Burn it. Oh, oh man. Oh, that's awesome, man. That was, it was Amazing. what a season. Um, yeah, we'll have to record. Like I said, we'll have to we'll have to do another one uh, pretty soon to do like just a recap because there's been so much off-season news already. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we right. Just like, the season. Coaching hires, so transfers. It just oh, none of it matters. Baylor's the no, champion. We, I was about to say we have to get Baylor focus in this one a little bit of houston as well because we didn't get to hit on them but mainly baylor uh because yeah they deserved it after i mean two years man they waited they waited a year for this and i'm happy for a lot i'm happy for all these dudes like this this was literally their mission when they heard that they got canceled out last year nothing left to say (laughs) nothing left to say uh great season for baylor congratulations again to everybody involved scott drew drum tang all the coaches all the players and man, like Ish said, we'll have a podcast up soon going over all the transactions and the, I shouldn't say transactions, all of the changes throughout the college <laughs> basketball landscape. Um, it's a Freudian slip there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> but until then, um, enjoy the podcast. Leave us a five-star rating review on Apple. Um, check out texasbasketball.com for all of the content there. And follow us on Twitter at DCT Basketball. Um, for Ish, um, what a season. And thank you all for joining us for this. And we'll be back soon. So talk to you all later.